HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by New York Mutual Trading. This week, Team HRN is at Charleston Wine and Food for the fifth year in a row. So, on this week's Meet and 3, we bring you some of our favorite sound bites from last year. The hospitality here yes. and the camaraderie is really wonderful. Yes. That's what struck Everybody me. Everybody smiles. So, imagine if you mix dirt with sand. Yes. You've got our earth. Yes. That sounds like that would be really poor. Really poor, right? <laughs> you know, we can talk all we want about a good story, but a good story is useless if the wine isn't great. It's highly Instagrammable. It looks so gory. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's food news and storytelling roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, and this is Eat Your Words. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and it is the first day of spring today, this March. Um, We all got up an hour earlier than we thought. Although I was really unprepared for that one. So <laughs> I got to thank my guest today for making it <laughs> despite losing an extra hour. Um, and he is also, we just discovered that he first came on this show exactly 10 years ago. So a veteran cookbook author, one of my favorite cookbook authors and food writers who has written for many publications. And he's also the editor and co-founder of Jari Magazine, um, or Quarterly do you call it quarterly? Um, it's magazine. It's a, a bootstrapped independent magazine wow. that we pull together our resources right. and put the issues when we can, out when we can. So that is none other than Lucas Volger. Thanks so much for coming back. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Yeah, cheers. So um, this is actually my favorite book of yours so far. Oh, thank you. This book that I'm holding right now is called Start Simple, and it's um, your fourth book. So the first one was called Veggie Burgers Every Which Way. Right. And then it's followed up by vegetarian entrees. Did that I do that? Don't that leave don't you hung- leave that you won't leave you hungry. Hungry, right. <laughs> and then there was bowl mm-hmm. a few years ago. And this one is not, you know, contained to a single sort of subject or like, the, you know, veg- veggie burgers. Actually, vegetarian entrees was not either. <laughs> but it is such a unique organization of a cookbook because it's based on these 11 essential ingredients mm. that you can stock your pantry with and then play with basically yeah, to exactly. create meals. And I love it. Um, so I actually wanted to read, If I want to see if you could like just read a little bit from the introduction so you can introduce those ingredients. Okay. Sure. Awesome. Um, 
can start wherever you'd like. Maybe, let's see. So, um, I'm, I sort of start the book explaining the way the the way I cook, the mm-hmm. way and the way most people I know who are skilled cooks who have been cooking for a long, for a long time, that they can sort of open up the fridge and they see possibility, you know, like oh, yeah. with whatever random ingredients are there. And this is something that I've always been trying, struggling with how to like teach people who don't know right. how to cook. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I wrote this book um, with my brother and his family in mind, and they mm-hmm. have kind of this crazy life and are always wanting to like eat better and cook more, but always struggle with it. Um, and um, so just in trying to formulate a way of like helping them when they open their fridge and see like this um, fridge full of like things that they bought at Costco and it's like so full of stuff. Like <laughs> I open that and I'm like, okay, we've got dinner for a week and they they open it and they like don't know what we to do. Right. And so um, anyway, that's sort of like where I'm, I'm, I'm setting mm-hmm. the scene in terms of like me when I open my fridge and here's what I can do. Um, and so the secret to this kind of cooking, which is a form of like improvisational cooking is making sure that there will be ingredients on hand that spark inspiration and then having a few ideas for what to do with them once they're at home. And that's what this book is about. It's manageable and inspiring everyday cooking with the types of recipes and tools that will help make everyday cooking a habit. So cookbooks that aim to unlock the secrets of weeknight cooking, they often overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. The shopping lists and the menus and the loads of prepping that needs to be done when you might otherwise be enjoying yourself over the weekend, it can be tough to see the forest through the trees. And with that type of plan, I often wonder if the sacrifice is actually outweighed by the reward. Instead, how about this? Getting into the habit of picking up most of these 11 primary ingredients that form the organizational system of the book. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, so what are these 11 ingredients? Okay, so they're all um, in these adorable illustrations yes. on the cover. Yes, they are. We've got hearty greens. Okay. Beans, canned and dried. Um, summer squash, like zucchini and yellow squash. Eggs, cauliflower, broccoli. That's sort of one that's chapter. One ch- that's, that's one chunk. That's one chunk. Okay. Then winter squash, cabbage, mushrooms, tofu, tortillas, sweet potatoes, and then there's um, a bonus dessert chapter. Ooh. <laughs> Awesome. All right. This is great. And and it happens to be vegetarian. I know that um, you write that, uh, you know, this is just kind of the way that it makes sense to you to eat. Um, actually, you wrote so eloquently that I don't even want to screw it up. How? What is your take on vegetarianism and your history with it? Um, so I've been strict vegetarian for uh, stretches of my life. And then for the last several years, I've been sort of like not a strict vegetarian. My default cooking is... Cooking, you know what this book is, is is very much like represents how I cook for myself right, on right. on weeknights, and it's all vegetarian. Yeah, and it's yeah. all vegetarian. That's just like that's, just, that's become my habit at home. Sense. How I stock my fridge, mm-hmm. and then when I'm at somebody else's house or when I'm out to eat, I just don't worry about it that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's very, I guess, flexitarian is yeah. another term that people say, or right. or just plant based or veggie forward or some other yeah. buzzwords behind. Well, these and I things. feel like it's important to like divide the like stop focusing so much on like the identity of it and Mm -hmm. instead like normalize um, plant-based and vegetarian and vegan eating so that it's like rather than being like i'm having a vegan dinner tonight it's like i'm having dinner and it is vegan but we don't even need to call it out because it's just like a normal dinner right um you grew up in boise idaho though and uh this wasn't exactly how you were raised no not at all (laughs) I was the like the the animal protein in the center of the plate, and then a few like sides around the plate. And, and sure. you write that there's always a glass of milk. Yeah, at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> cow's milk. That is cow milk. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, how times have changed. I know, right? But um, actually, no, that's, I mean, that's a pretty generic meal throughout many parts of America still. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I love that you write so, um, right, so your your recipes are so effortless and, you know, they're not really ostentatiously flashy, yet they're beautiful. And they're not pounding you over the head with healthfulness, yet they're healthy, and I just, and they're also economical because we're talking beans and like zucchini here. Like mm-hmm. this is all the, all those 11 ingredients. Your, yeah, your splurges are going to be yeah. like nice eggs or some eggs, cheese or something. Right, right. And um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, or desserts, as you, as you mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> or fruit maybe. Um, but, you know, I just want to give this book to everyone who says something like, you know, eating plant-based is somehow too expensive, um, too elitist. And just too difficult because you make it very humble yeah. and, and hearty. I've, I've been, um, I've always loved this phrase, sensible, sensible mm-hmm. food and sensible yeah. cooking. And in earlier iterations of this book, while I was trying to like um, come up with a proposal, uh-huh. I I love this like phrase, sensible food. But I like learned in talking with like book publishing people that it's a little bit of a downer. It doesn't get people excited. <laughs> <the word laughs> sensible. But it's like, I've, I've always been drawn to vegetarian and vegan food because it is so affordable. And mm-hmm. it's a way to like, kind of have standards about how, you know, you can follow, have a rubric of, I want this to be organic, or I want it to come from the farmer's market. Or, um, and it's sort of like, inherently healthier than like, a lot of like prepared foods and stuff. And I mean, I'm not going to make the case that's necessarily healthier than like an omnip- a more omnivorous diet, but mm-hmm, um, th- it's a way to eat really well and on a budget. So that's yeah. always, that's how I got right. into it originally. And, and the stuff that you write about talks about incorporating things like leftover roasted squash, um, leftover roasted whatever, roasted mushrooms, uh-huh. throw, fold it together with some scrambled eggs and let it puff up like a souffle in the oven some caramelized onions which cost you know onions cost very little um so yeah i mean kudos to you for that thank you um one thing i noticed that uh you've been writing about beans for such a long time in fact in fact your first book i learned a lot about how to handle dry beans oh really like you you went into such detail that i was like oh shoot i didn't know you know like i need to pick (laughs) I don't know. I just learned a lot of basics about um, oh, cooking and yet, with like, beans. People, it's, yet beans are still like this area of confusion for right. so many people. Yeah. <laughs> they always will be, I think. <laughs> Dry beans yeah. and just beans in general. Just yeah. beans in general, yeah. I know. But they're very, um, I guess, on trend nowadays. There's Yeah, a, for sure. Right? There's a whole book about it by Joe Yonan, Which the editor so of the Washington Post, Beans. Yeah. I've been seeing it on covers, too. I mean, there's a flash of beans on one of these toasts on, your, on the cover of your mm-hmm. book. Um, I see that, you know, I, I just see that more and more. So what do you think, since, as somebody who's been writing about beans, you know, since your first book and, and so on, um, why do you think it's got suddenly captured um, a little bit of a trend right now? Um, or buzz? I feel, I'm not entirely sure. I've read, like, a lot of the trend pieces. I, I think that people are, I think there's been a lot of... Um, advances around like plant-based eating and vegetable forward cooking and mm-hmm. stuff. And so I think people have gotten a lot more accustomed to that. Um, and beans are obviously this incredible source of like plant-based, plant-based protein. And maybe people are waking up to that a little bit more. I also think like Rancho Gordo, he's been doing this for quite a long time. And, um, I've been a big fan of him for the last, Steve, let's see, Steve Sando. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the past like five, six years, but 
he's just like, first off, it's this like incredibly thoughtful business and everything is done with like such intention around like building, helping like restore um, heirloom, heirloom beans and yeah. like work directly with farmers throughout like Central America. And yeah. um, and then he the packaging is so beautiful right. and it's like really fun. There's this like, it's kind of... The he, beans are beautiful. The beans are beautiful. And then there's this like sort of like campy woman with lips on the, on the, <laughs> all the stickers around the beans and... <laughs> So it's just like a covetable object. I think uh, that has helped. It's interesting. Um, yeah. And I think, it, I don't know, chefs have been like making these be- these delicious bean dishes on their menus. Yeah. And like, I think that's one of the things that's helping people to see them as being really delicious too. So it's not just this virtuous thing to be eating. Right, right. I love it. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted to ask about was among these 11 ingredients, there was not an ingredient that I see often when it comes to like list of like what to stock your pantry with that um, you know I've seen in cookbooks and and also trend pieces um, about this subject, and that is canned tomatoes. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of canned things actually. Everything you have is fresh, except you said fre- uh, canned or dried beans. Right. <laughs> so are you? I mean. What do you think about canned food or and canned tomatoes? Is that like I, that's interesting? That you noticed that? I, I, it certainly wasn't intentional. Oh, okay. Um, I think I always have canned tomatoes around, and mm-hmm. I find them to be really useful. I think for vegetarian cookbooks, like pasta is. Off, I mean, that was where my head went first with canned tomatoes, even mm-hmm. though I know that they're used in all kinds of things. But um, I think I, I there are some pasta recipes in there, but I didn't want it to be too pasta forward. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. that's um, maybe it, and people don't think of pasta now as like a super, it's a comforting thing, but they don't think of it necessarily as a nourishing thing. So I wanted it not to be too pasta heavy. Yeah. Um, But I had, that certainly wasn't intentional. Well, I I think it's super refreshing because I think that otherwise it's like, but yeah, you mentioned all the pastas or the canned tomatoes, canned whatever. It's kind of like, I've seen it before. Yeah. Okay. Good. And, um, well, I definitely, in the pantry section, it was like, I've, I've written these in my other books where you have to go through, it's like salt and a 10 inch skillet and like right. all these things, like every freaking cookbook has this yeah. like passage of like how to um, stock your pantry and stock your kitchen. And does anybody need to read this? Does anybody know this? And mm-hmm. so I wanted mm-hmm. to like not include that. So I might've included canned tomatoes if I'd expanded that in a more right, um, right. traditional way. Well, one thing I love that you included was also cabbage. And you yeah. write that it's, you know, kind of poor, lowly, overlooked ingredient. Maybe because we see it on the last, you know, the last sort of scra- stragglers in the farmer's market at yeah. the end of winter. <laughs> and if anybody who's had a CSA, you have this like 14-pound cabbage <laughs> that sits in your fridge for like three months. You're a cabbage yeah. baby? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but you make them yeah much more exciting in your recipes than the the sad sort of coleslaw that you you, you reference as like <laughs> one of the few things that we tend to see cabbage in. Yeah, yeah. Though I did have a Good. section of like fun slaws. I like slaws. <laughs> Me too. I do like slaws. I do like the normal slaw too. And I've just been like out doing events for this book, and there are a lot of like passionate cabbage lovers out there. I didn't, you know, like. <laughs> I think that maybe they've not been listened to or haven't been speaking oh. up that much, but people really do love cabbage. Oh, that's amazing. And I think that cabbage is also having a little bit of a moment. Um, oh. I saw it was in Adina Sussman's book, uh-huh. the, um, Sababa. Sababa, yeah. She has this roasted cabbage recipe that's getting tons of love. Ooh. And then um, Andy Barghini of Bon Appetit, he just did this recipe that has been also going viral with roasted oh, cabbage. So okay. I don't know, keep an eye on cabbage. They may be okay. the next beans. Oh, <laughs> Do you call the the cabbage heads? 
<laughs> Can you call cabbage fanatics and cabbage heads? Oh, maybe, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Cabbage. That, that was a bad one. <laughs> anyway, we can edit that out. <laughs> oh, man. So many recipes and fun stuff to talk about. And I also want to introduce a game called Mind Kitchen, where I'm going to throw a bunch of ingredients at Lucas verbally only, and he's going to tell me a beautiful meal. But I'm not going to use any of the ingredients that are on his list of 11 pantry staples. Okay, um, we're going to come to that right after a quick little commercial break. So hang tight. This episode is brought to you by New York Mutual Trading, the premier Japanese food, alcoholic beverage, and restaurant supply specialist. Mutual Trading is the Japanese food authority, true to the heart in upholding genuine Japanese food traditions, and progressive in exploring new ways to provide innovative restaurant supplies and services. They import, export, distribute, and manufacture the top brands for retailer and food service customers nationwide. Learn more at nymtc.com. All right, we're back chatting with Lucas Volger on your fourth time here at Heritage. Or, um, Maybe even more than Matt, that. You've been so more. generous with <laughs> my projects and whatnot. I love your projects. No, thank you so much for coming. You've been generous oh, with your you. time. And uh, you've been a very good... good uh, spirit here um, g- uh, to take on this game that I'm going to present you with. Um, so Mind Kitchen is actually a game that was invented by Matt Timms on Heritage Radio Network several years ago, and he did it for a few episodes, but it didn't last too long. So basically, it's like um, I'm going to tell you a bunch of ingredients, and you have to pretend that you're in a kitchen, and you have to make you have to tell me what your entree is with them. And using all the ingredients. Basically, yeah. I think they used to do bit. this with Lynn on um, Splendid Table. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's basically <laughs> like, you know, that show Chopped with the Basket. Okay. okay. And let me, just as a caveat, I've always been terrified of things like Chopped, like competitive, <laughs> live thinking, no time to stew with stuff. Well, I okay. can't taste it, but we can judge. We can still okay. judge you. <laughs> so, okay. And none of them are going to be your favorite ingredients from this no. book. Okay. Okay, so we've got we've got cherries, sweet cherries, fresh from like you know, say you went to an orchard or the farmer's market. Okay. Um, tomatoes, also fresh. Mm-hmm. Frozen peas. Oh my god! That's <laughs> this is like trans seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually one of my like must-haves of my kitchen: frozen peas. Oh, okay, why. frozen peas. Okay, I just gotcha. Like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, potatoes, just normal <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> Um, scallions. Can it be a smoothie? <laughs> <laughs> Not now. You want scallions? <laughs> and uh, yogurt. Okay. And tahini. Oh, okay. So I think I would do two dishes. Um, I would 
I'm actually allergic to cherries, so I don't eat them that often. Oh, shoot. But I, I love like when I'm willing to like risk my throat closing up. I like love stone fruit with oh, no. tomatoes. So I think I would do like a salad with the, mm-hmm. um, like thick slices of the tomatoes and then macerate the cherries in a little bit of, I guess, a teeny bit of salt and sugar and vinegar and then... By macerate, you mean just soak it? Yeah, just okay. to like break it down, make it soften it a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then some olive oil and if there were any herbs sitting around, do that kind of salad. Mm, fresh um, cherry and tomatoes. I love it. Okay. I feel like that's a, that's a boring one. But then the other dish would be so... Peas. Maybe strain the yogurt a little bit if it's a loose one to mm-hmm. thicken it, Lobna style, um, and then do a schmear, schmear on the bottom. On the bottom. Of the <laughs> and cool. then, um, I, yeah, I'm just thinking like the peas and the tahini on top of the yogurt. So it's mm-hmm. like have the peas, maybe cook them peas, with a little bit potatoes. of... Oh, the potatoes. potatoes too. Oh, yeah. God, I Sorry. forgot about the peas, potatoes. Peas, potatoes, scallions, yogurt, tahini. I think you're good. You yeah, so peas. I think you could... So maybe like... St- Steam the potato. Oh, God. Ooh. Well, I, I love cold potatoes. I put yeah. this like cold sweet potato dish in my. Oh, fishy but, um, slaw. No. Well, I wasn't even thinking <laughs> fishy slaw. I was thinking like I like cold cubes of potatoes. Oh. But um, so maybe this is gonna sound vile, but cook the steam the potatoes and then chill them mm-hmm. and then cut them into little cubes Dice. and mm-hmm. then. Make a little salad with the scallions, the peas, the potatoes, and some like salt, pepper, olive oil, lemon, and then put that on top of the yogurt and drizzle it with tahini. That I did not think of. Really, I, I feel love like that's that. the most obvious dish out there. Uh, I would have thought to roast crispy little like almost like cubes of the potatoes, oh, okay. and then yeah, maybe like smear or drizzle the yogurt and tahini. But you smeared it. I smeared it. I love a smear. <laughs> it sounds amazing, though. I can see it in my head because I love the idea of like having little baubles of the peas and little cubes of potatoes. Yeah. That sounds delightful. Maybe we'll have to try that. Yeah. Um, I love that you have a, a recipe here that I was very unexpected to me um, that uh, deals with a potato. It was a sweet potato in your sweet potato section where you kind of bake it and then you slice it down the middle like as if you're about to load it up. Mm-hmm. Then you loaded it with miso butter and a fistful of arugula and some lemon zest shavings. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Whoa. That was really cool. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Um, a lot of things here um, I thought were so dreamy looking and inventive, and they happen to be in the tofu chapter, which I'm, this is not like, I'm, I'm not like saying that because like tofu needs help. I, they just really looked the most amazing. Like there's ginger scallion stuffed tofu here uh, that looks just gorgeous and so savory. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Good idea there. You, Thank so, you. So you take like all these like little scallions and ginger, um, a little pinch of sugar and sesame oil, and it's pretty basic. So like a thick, less um, less um, spoonable ginger mm. scallion sauce. Right, right. And then you, yeah, you like make a little pocket of mm. them. Though after I finished that recipe, I went to teach a class, and um, it's a little bit finicky, like writing it. So you're like mm-hmm. making a little. Um, Cut into the cubes of tofu and then spooning the sauce in the middle and then like putting on top. And it looks really nice, um, but it's a little finicky. And I was teaching a cooking class um, at up in Maine at Stonewall Kitchens where I go a couple times a year. 
And the guy was like, I could not understand how this was. I was able to like fix the instructions. Um, oh, but he was like, that. I could not understand what you're talking. So what I did is I just sandwiched the sauce between two little like slabs of tofu oh. for this class to stuff it. And, um, I was like, why didn't I think about that? That mm-hmm. would have been so much easier. I just had such a picture in my head of like the sauce, like emerging volcano style <laughs> from a little like block of tofu. Right, right, right. Anyway. No, it's a great way to pack in the flavor there. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all familiar with something that's a little finicky that is stuffed, like a stuffed mushroom. It's yeah. not exactly the easiest thing to that's true to, to do, but yeah. And then you have the silken tofu with soy sauce tomatoes. Mm, that's so good. That looks so good. It's so, and it's like the the temperature contrast is such a delightful thing about okay. that dish. You have these like warm, warm stewed tomato. like cherry tomatoes oh. and cooked with a little bit of um, soy sauce. And then you have the cold Vinegar. silken tofu. And then, so those two, you put the hot tomatoes over the cold oh, no. tofu. And it's a very, very nice dish. Oh my God. It's it's like a caprese, but with a sort of fluid, like juicy, jammy, warm cherry tomatoes. Yeah. And uh, soy and a sauce. A little bit more umami. Right, right, from the soy sauce. Yeah. So, that sounds so refreshing. Um, you write in the beginning for your tofu section that it's a bit of a controversial ingredient these days. Yeah. Um, perhaps unfairly. Uh, what do you, what's your take on that? Why is soy so, so disliked? Well, I, I um, had been hearing anecdotally from a lot of people that, like, they're, especially women, were afraid to be eating too much soy for, but it might do for estrogen stuff. All right. And then in doing a little bit of research, and I think, I think a lot of people, your listeners probably know this already, but like this is more a symptom of like industrially produced products right. that include um, the soy where just the protein is stripped from the soybean. So you have none of the um, fiber and all the other stuff that like makes the soybean so healthy and mm. such a like a good um, form of plant-based protein. So that's where, so like soy there lecithin. was this, yeah, an yes, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and just as a visual, the, taking what for like a teaspoon of this like soy protein the amount of soybeans that you would need in order to oh. extract that much protein is yeah. really stark and alarming so uh, um that's where that's just where to try to like correct hmm. that perception yeah. about tofu yeah. I still do see that recommended you know just to be on the safe side don't eat soy but actually what's in a lot of processed food products and pretty much everything they have soybean oil which oh, is industrial yeah. produced so it's yeah. like Actually, you're you're eating it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so tofu, we like it. Yes, (laughs) I like that you. (laughs) I like that you include um, a quote from nutritionist and author Marion Nessel. Um, You write that she advises that we regard tofu not as a miracle food, as it's often framed in the context of vegan and vegetarian diets, but as a food, one to incorporate into your diet with an eye toward balance. I feel this way about most ingredients. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what is God? It's like right now, as we're talking, we were just talking about the coronavirus and like this mm. whole media shitstorm of messaging, and no one really like knows what's going on, and there's no sure. leadership around it. And like it's the same thing in food when all these like things pop up and get featured on Doctor Oz or whatever. It's like creates this hysteria around stuff. Yeah, really don't think it needs to be that right, complicated, right. <laughs> especially for food that people have been eating for, for thousands. Yeah, exactly. Bazillion years, um, unlike. So I am curious about um, the meat analogs that are coming out today based on 
um, hemoglobins and, <laughs> you know, the fake meat <laughs> that is like bleeding burgers from Impossible Beyond Burger and that kind right. of thing. That's a new thing. Yeah. That, that's really like not for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been, a couple of people have been asking me about this lately. And it's, I had, I used to have a veggie burger business that was like Made these packs Lucas. of veg. It was um, so local good. sort of to New York state vegetables packed into a little container and made into this like scoopable um, veggie burger mix mm-hmm. where you could shape them into patties and cook them off. And the whole idea was that there was like a kale flavor, a beet flavor and a carrot parsnip flavor. Yeah. And that, it reinforced my strong belief that a veggie burger should taste like vegetables. Mm-hmm. And it's so, I mean, I, I really, like, I do understand where um, Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger fits into our, like, food system. Like, mm-hmm. as a replacement for beef patties and fast food, people, I can't tell the difference. I mean, people don't care, That seems yeah. like a yeah. pretty good um, advance, you mm. know. But it's, like, too, you know, it, there's, like, this is where the veggie burger roads diverge got it yeah (laughs) it's like apples and oranges yeah exactly okay cool um almost out of time but i did want to ask something since you know this is not your first rodeo this is your fourth cookbook now and it's been 10 years since you've been publishing we were just talking yeah i came on your show 10 years ago exactly yeah it's amazing. It really is. Um, and actually, you've worked with three different <clears throat> publishers amongst these four books. Um, what's changed in the landscape of food writing and cookbooks and food media is what I meant to say, um, in your opinion? Um, well, I think that in the world of book publishing, it's cookbooks have been seen as like a bit of a bright spot. So mm-hmm. there's been um, some doubling down, I think, in investment into cookbooks. And like when I first... My first three books were all paperback books um, because the, um, there was just like a perception of yeah. what people would be willing to spend and um, I don't know, their, their business model for these types of things. And I think that since then, in the past like 10 years, there's um, an expectation has really developed around like creating a beautiful cookbook and the True. in uh, digital photography has like made it possible to have a photo for every recipe though I've never been able to do that oh because God. I'm not a photographer I do see those comments sometimes that people were like just, you didn't have a, res- a photo for every recipe I know but people <laughs> One really star. I hear that all the time <laughs> that people want, they don't buy cookbooks unless there's a photo for every recipe or they don't make that it's recipe it's kind of crazy yeah but um, I think that's changed it a lot what was I and I was going to say something else mm. but um <laughs> and then in terms of like, I started out with a veggie burger cookbook and like this publisher, the experiment has been kind of amazing because they were at the forefront of this. Like they, um, cool. there's Harper a lot Wave. of like, well, not Harper Wave, but oh, my, the experiment was my first book publisher and they, um, focused on vegan and vegetarian stuff. And okay. Matthew Mortlore, the publisher had, um, been doing this at his previous job and the world of vegan cookbooks was really confined to these like outsider, like indie publishers. Yeah. And they were selling tons and tons of copies huh. of, I mean, there were successful ones, but I think, uh, mainstream publishers only recently started to take note of this traction and have been building it out and creating That's more of a market for these vegetable oriented cookbooks. Totally. Yeah. Well, that may be a reflection of changing tastes and consumers. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Meatless. People opening themselves up to the idea. And and with books like yours, I don't see why not. So, oh, thank so you. Thank you so much for this contribution. And uh, I feel like we could spend hours talking, but um, thank you so much for coming back on the oh, show. Oh, thank you, Kathy. It's always, it's always I can actually say this, always a pleasure. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to have you on, too. So definitely check out... Uh, Start simple and uh, lucasvolger.com is yeah. and lucasvolger on Instagram and wherever you, yes. you need to find him. 
<laughs> and uh, thanks, Jeet, and everyone at Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>